Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. This is part B of our episode on the saga of Bjorn, the champion of the Hitardal people. Now, we've already discussed the story, so let's judge the narrative at the Saga Thing. All right. Uh, as ever, our judgment section is our chance to evaluate the saga using our seven criteria. Best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry in which we sentence one of the characters from the saga to leave Iceland forever, uh, thingmen in which Andy and I will each have an opportunity to draft a member of the saga to join our growing band of champions, and final ratings in which we will each uh, have an opportunity to evaluate the sagas and give them a score from 1 to 10. That's right. Now, I know that sometimes we have a brief discussion section before we jump into the judgments, John. Uh, did we leave anything out of our summary episode that we should talk about? Any scholarly tidbits worth exploring here at the start of our judgment section? Uh, well, I mean, there's, there's plenty to talk about. But something I think we really didn't get into last time is just how few tidbits there are. Yeah. I mean, this there's just really very little attention that Bjorn has gotten from readers and critics of the sagas. There's not much out there on this at all. I did some digging on it, and it mostly comes mm -hmm. up in, in passing. Someone's talking about marriage, yeah. perhaps. Um, you know, the uh, Odni and her relationships come up quite a bit in uh, Jenny Jockin's, uh Women mm -hmm. in Old Norse Society. Uh, but it's, it's, again, very much in passing. It says, uh, you know, this is this kind of relationship, that kind of relationship. Here's what it looks like in, mm -hmm. in uh, uh, Bjorn Saga. Uh, mm -hmm. So not, not a whole lot out there on, on Bjorn Saga. Maybe you and I, or maybe just I, should write <laughs> something brilliant about Bjorn Saga. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I, think I think your odds of being brilliant will go up if you're not doing it alone. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks uh, for that vote of confidence. No, I think it's I think it's uh, it's interesting. We we certainly didn't find any shortage of things to say about the saga. I mean, good lord, this, that was our longest summary to date. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, we were summarizing a lot, right? To be fair, uh, and I think Bjorn, while you at least find him to be a very compelling character, and I find him to be an interesting character. Um, there's something about the saga itself that just doesn't seem to inspire. And possibly that's also the broken nature of the text. Or we talked about sure. this, that um, the saga that we read for this podcast had to be cobbled together from multiple sources because there are these chunks missing from the text. Sure. Well, I think the other thing that, that makes people less inclined to talk about the saga is the fact that it is a – it really is a compilation of poetry with prose interspersed, mm -hmm. and you don't really get a good sense of the narrative. Oh, I don't know if this is true. I was going to say you don't get a good sense of the narrative progression, but I feel like I do. Um, mm -hmm. But it is really driven by the poetry, and so maybe it's well, a little bit less also, interesting as a result. You can make that same argument about Cormac's saga, and that sure. gets plenty of attention from critics. Uh, but it only gets the attention – it really Cormac only really gets the attention as being an early saga. That's where it comes up. If you look at the most of the discussions of it, it's oh, and the dueling. No, no, the dueling, yes, tons of dueling stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you got the dueling because well, they have the elaborate descriptions there about mm -hmm. the dueling, and yeah. then they say it's an early saga. So that's the two things that it's got. Uh, you would think that that Bjorn saga would come up more with conversations about the poetry and the the eroticism of the poetry as well. Mm -hmm. And well, for of course, humor, there's a lot of good humor in this one. I agree, uh, but the you know one of the problems you run into is that unlike the other poet sagas, Bjorn isn't even the most well known poet in his saga. I mean, Thord is actually the the well known poet. Well known by who? Well, well, no, within the context of the saga, yeah, he's no Gunnlaug. 
that where Gunlog and Halfred and Cormac all gain reputation for their poetry, mm-hmm. Bjorn never really does particularly. Uh, he, no, his reputation but- is essentially of somebody who likes to compose scandalous verses about Thord. Sure. Uh, to be fair, though, Bjorn isn't called uh, Bjorn the Great Poet. He's called Bjorn the Champion of the Hitodal people. He's really fair a warrior. Enough. He doesn't leave well, to go and get a name for himself by composing poetry in foreign courts. He leaves Iceland to go make a name for himself by kicking some ass. And so his reputation is not that of a court poet. No, I'm with you. Which is I the agree. point that we were trying to make. <laughs> and we have made that point, haven't we? There you go. <laughs> so what do you say? Let's get this thing started, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, I see what you did there. Very clever thing started. Wow, it was a long moment for the penny to drop. Best Bloodshed. So let's kick off our Best Bloodshed section with uh, the first entrant, which is the battle with the Fierce Dragon. I don't know if you remember this from the... The Fierce Dragon. The Fierce Dragon. Well, hold on. Well, let's, uh-huh. listen, to, let's listen to what happens here. So yeah, if you he remember... kills a gecko. No. Bjorn is, uh, he went to England and Mm -hmm. he's traveling, he stays there for two years and he's traveling with King Knut the Great. Mm -hmm. It happened, the saga says, when Bjorn was accompanying the king and sailing with his company in the southern seas, that a dragon flew over the king's company and attacked them and tried to snatch one of the men. Bjorn was standing nearby and covered the man with his shield, but the dragon clawed almost through it. Bjorn then gripped the dragon's tail with one hand, while with the other he struck behind the wings, and the dragon was severed and fell down dead. (laughs) And gave Bjorn a large sum of money and a fine longship. With this, he sailed to Denmark. I like that. You're you're doing your very best to make that sound epic. That was epic. I know in the last saga you talked about how puny the dragon was. What makes you think it's puny? Um, I think it's the fact that Bjorn can grip the dragon's tail in one hand. That's because he's got very large behind the wings. No, no. While the other strikes behind the wings, meaning he's a large man. Meaning Bjorn's arm span is at least the length of the dragon's tail to the dragon's wings. So we're talking about a dragon that is at best eight, ten feet long. Oh, well, okay. So if you're getting attacked by the size of a large horse, if you're getting attacked by a pterodactyl. You wouldn't be impressed by the guy who can grab it and <laughs> fling it to the ground? Um, if I were being impre- attacked by a pterodactyl, I think I would be probably distracted by the pterodactyl. <laughs> exactly, um, but he has the wherewithal to grab it, fling it mm. to the ground, kill it. It's a very impressive moment. And you don't see a lot of dragons in uh, the Icelandic sagas, do you? I'm, 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 No, you don't. And I'm not taking anything away from him as a dragon slayer. I'm merely pointing out... That he chooses to beat up on the weak sister of the dragon realm uh, rather <laughs> than hunting down a fully mature dragon. I like, like this say, idea you say he does. chooses to, like he, like he had a choice in the matter. The dragon attacked <laughs> Knut's men. Bjorn uh-huh. happened to be there. He was mm-hmm. cool, calm, collected, got the job done, and he got a ship out of the deal. I, I don't see what the problem is. Sounds to me like he swatted a dragonfly and made a big deal out of it. But um... <laughs> that, that would be hilarious. <laughs> That's how the myth grew. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, if you don't like that one, you're probably going to like this one. I'm pretty sure of it. This one involves a seal, John. Mm-hmm. More, uh, well, that, is, that is much more impressive. Yeah, more wildlife. <laughs> so if, you, if, a, if a dragon's not good enough for you, maybe the seal will get the job so this done. Is just, this is just us collecting all the animal cruelty in this saga. <laughs> well, actually, this isn't animal cruelty. 
This is uh, an animal being cruel. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I think I think this is a good one. So this is a, a, a tale of uh, Thord Kolbinson, our, the villain of our saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, the saga tells us in chapter 15 that Thord Kolbinson went to look over his shore to kind of check things out. And he finds a, a seal poking out of a hole in the ice. And the tide had gone out underneath the seal. And now the seal's surrounded by ice and it can't get away. Poor little fella. I imagine you're probably thinking, get out my club, I got a nice coat coming. No. No? <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> That's terrible and unconscionable. I don't know how you work in, in New England. <laughs> well, at, this point, I, at this point, I'd club half a dozen seals if it would end the winter. <laughs> <laughs> so Thord is obviously very excited about this because he's got a, a source of meat right there in front of him. He's probably tired of eating hay or whatever Thord eats. So he's thinking to himself, if I go home and get my weapons, the tide's going to come back up before I come back, and then I'm not going to be able to catch the seal. And he doesn't want that to happen, so he makes an attempt to kill the seal himself without his weapons from home. But as the the saga describes, this caused an accident, for the seal bit him in the thigh, giving Thord an injury. Hmm. (laughs) Thord does, does uh, you'll be happy to know, get the seal and have him butchered. Hmm. but he keeps the bite a secret, which doesn't prove to be a very good decision because it quickly starts to fester and gets worse and worse. And soon he can't really walk very well. And next thing you know, Bjorn's composing verses about the seal. Well, but this of course, is... right, I mean, he's keeping it secret not because um, not because it was a seal, but because an injury to the thigh oh, yeah. often carries with connota- sexual connotations. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's not interested in giving Bjorn any more ammunition than he's already got. No, but it doesn't take long for Bjorn to find out about it. And as is his custom, mm-hmm. he composes a dirty poem. The wealth warder lies wounded. Wise men here have heard it. Scratched by a seal, the pallid suet gobblers injured. When waves come rushing roughly on rocks like a pebble, the sluggard goes skimming smartly over the mudflats. That is just, that is getting worse and worse. <laughs> what, the, the accent? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I have to apologize to most of our listeners. That's really shameful what we're doing. Uh, we? <laughs> what do you mean we? I'm Oh, just here. wait till Thord has a verse. Then uh, we'll see. <laughs> Oh, uh, all right. If you're done messing around, I've got a real one. Oh, well, fine. You uh, like seal bites and dragons? Oh, but now I've got uh, an actual battle between armed men. Oh, uh, real men mm-hmm. with swords. This is uh, uh, Bjorn and Arnor Crossstick. Uh, oh, yeah. Facing off against the champions, uh, cousins of Thords. I remember this one. It's quite bloody. Yeah. Um, so what we've got here is uh, sort of. Real, I mean, accomplished warriors, right? This isn't Thord and mm-hmm. his sort of clownishness. Um, his cousins are legitimate warriors. Uh, sure. And one of them takes on Bjorn while the other takes on Arnor. And That's right. This is the one with the uh, the 12 against, uh, against right, two. Right, they refuse and the, the to the cousins say, we're not going to fight against him with 12 guys. Right. Now, one of the, one of the uh, cousins, Ottar, struck at Arnor's head, cutting off the ear and cheekbone. But the blow was halted by the sword he was carrying on his shoulder. Mm. Uh, 
So that's, I mean, that's a brutal injury. He basically shears off sort of the bottom corner of Arnor's head. Yeah. I mean, the ear and cheekbone are actually cut off. Wow. Talk about a tough life after that. Well, and it's, I mean, no kidding. I mean, there's sort of this description later on that they spend a while recovering from their injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't imagine, I mean, what does recovery mean in that instance? Right? I mean, you're talking about someone not able to speak, not able to eat properly, not able to hear properly. Yeah. Well, that's probably why you don't hear much from him for the rest of the saga. Right, right. His son's going to become important later on in the saga. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's going to go home, recover from his wounds, and presumably eat a lot of soup for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, you end up feeling really bad for this guy. <laughs> yeah, no, and and let's contrast that with the battle in which uh, Bjorn and Thord face off against each other. Uh, okay. This is some time later when Thord has a large group of men ambush Bjorn all at once. Uh, Bjorn has already killed one of them. Injured another, and then uh, Bjorn struck at Thord, who took the most prudent course. He let himself fall away from the blow, although he was only <laughs> slightly wounded. Uh, so Thord, in the middle of a battle that he has instigated against Bjorn, plays possum to avoid having to face Bjorn himself. Yeah, well, it seems a smart move, right? I, I mean, smart in the sense of self-preserving. Uh, yeah. But certainly... You know, in terms of public face, I mean, it's shameful. Sure. Well, in an honor culture, that's not the right move to, to take. But right. if you are a weakling and bad at fighting and you know you're going to get killed, what are you going to do? Well, it does raise the question of how he keeps convincing people to accompany him on these ambushes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the reputation of a man you'd want to follow into battle. Sure. Uh, so let's see. we have any others? Yeah, there's uh, an interesting episode that that we see kind of happening a lot in the sagas, Mm -hmm. not just in outlaw sagas and poet sagas, uh, but the greatest warriors do this kind of thing. It's like a mark of of their prowess. Um, In uh, Chapter 26, it's yet another one of these uh, attacks taking place, and um, Bjorn is out. uh, He's just swam away to escape, and this reminds me of of Gisli and Grettir always Mm -hmm. swimming away from their enemies. Um, Thord's son, Kolbane threw a spear at Bjorn over the river. The spear hits Bjorn in the leg, but he quickly pulls it out and sends it right back to where it came from. And there was a man in its path, and it passed through him and hit Kolbein Thordeson, who was sitting behind him. Both men were killed on the spot. I just like that <laughs> image of him taking the spear mm-hmm. in the leg, pulling it out, throwing it back, and skewering two men at once. Well, yeah, pinning two men together with one, yeah, one spear. Yeah, it's a cool, Very nice, nice. nice image. And again, it's mm-hmm. it's just a marker of that those those are the best warriors in the Icelandic sagas that can right. do that kind of thing. Uh, and as per usual, one of the, a Norwegian is one of those killed. Norwegian spearmen <laughs> have the lifespan of a mayfly in the sagas. Well, they, uh, they are the red shirts of Star Trek. They are. They are actually. Yes. It's, it's uh, you know the landing party inevitably is you know Thor Thorderson, <laughs> Granny Granerson, <laughs> Snorri Snorrison, and a Norwegian. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> uh, all right. Do you well, have another one. And of course, we have to throw in Bjorn's death uh, at the end oh, of the that's saga. An awful one. Um, it's. I mean, surrounded by twenty-four men. We've already covered this in some detail in the summary, so we'll just talk about it very quickly. But he's surrounded by twenty-four men. Uh, he manages to kill three of them, wounds a large number of others. Uh, at one point, is reduced to fighting with a pair of shears that he was carrying to shear his sheep. Uh, 
and finally is knocked to the ground. His, his shield arm is broken. And it's only at that point that Thord steps forward, attacks him from behind, and cuts off his buttocks. Um, mm-hmm. And when Bjorn then falls, Thord uh, attacks Bjorn's head, cutting off the, tr- the head from the trunk. Uh, yeah. So it's just a a great sort of a, a moment in which you see a great man surrounded by his enemies being slowly hacked down. But then we get this moment of the coward, the man who's refused to face him this entire time, uh, sneaking mm-hmm. in behind as he's fighting and chopping at his buttocks. Uh, yeah. So you see sort of the greatness of Bjorn and the the smallness of Thor sort of played out in that final moment. Yeah, and and obviously the the kind of death that he gets with the buttocks being chopped off is a shameful one for him, mm-hmm. which is really sad because he doesn't deserve that kind of treatment from such a, a lowly figure like Thor. Right, and as for who it's shameful for, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah. So that's good. A lot of good choices mm-hmm. there. Um, some pretty interesting one. Obviously, I, I'm always partial to the uh, now the wild creatures. Now, it comes down to two of them for me. Yeah, I think it comes down to two for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which ones are you partial to? Uh, well, I mean, for me, I'm going to tell you that uh, I am not including Bjorn's death in my uh, in my two. You're not including that one. No. See, that's that seems to me that's one of the more graphically violent ones. Uh, so that's in my list. It What's, is, but uh, I can't award. I'm curious I what can't your two award are. Thord for that act. Um, you know what? For me, it comes down to either uh, Thord being bitten on the thigh by a seal, uh, just because of the that that's it's. An entertaining moment. Uh, it does speak to a preoccupation of the sagas, uh, mm-hmm. but it's mainly just that you know Thor can't even kill a seal uh, without taking <laughs> an injury to the thigh, right? Uh, right. Or Arnor's face wounding. It's just one of the most brutal injuries uh, that I've yeah. that I've ever heard of someone surviving in the sagas. Uh, I mean, you, you see know, this kind of thing happen sometimes with people who then die, but for him to go home and recover from these wounds, I think is worthy mm-hmm. of note. Well, okay, so my my two were going to be the death of Bjorn, but I I would like to agree with you here. Uh, I don't want to give Thord any award mm-hmm. for well, not for, for that. something not ho- for that as horrible. No way. And uh, Arnor's cheekbone was the other one, but mm-hmm. I, you know what? You're persuading me. And if we can give this award to a seal, I would be all the all the happier. <laughs> what a great moment in saga thing history to give a best bloodshed to a thigh biting seal. <laughs> you know, and 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 no more deserving thigh. Could be bitten than Thor's. <laughs> I, I I genuinely feel bad for Arnor, and it's Excellent. one of the more uh, uh, realistic and and awful woundings that we'll see in the sagas. But there's that seal, just winking at you. Yep. Well, fair enough. Since we both chose that one, I guess it's uh, Thor being bitten by a seal. Sorry, Arnor. Congratulations, little seal. Feel free to voice your complaints. Body, Body count. count. All right, body count. So I think we've got a fairly straightforward body count this time. This is the first one where we don't have to have any argument. Yeah, I mean, there just isn't a large enough number of corpses to worry about, really. Or any real uh, controversial deaths there. No, no. Unless you want to count a dragon and a seal. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well we can get to that. Uh, but in terms of actual human beings, uh, I think we both came up with the same number. We have, yeah. both have 14. Yep. Pretty um, straightforward. Uh, yeah. They don't come early. They come rather late, and Bjorn gets busy and gets the yep. job done. Uh, just just Kaldemar the champion in the first half of the yeah. saga. Uh, and then 
called him off. And then uh, Bjorn starts on his campaign of killing off everyone Thor sends after him. Yeah, or people that uh, recite poetry while he's hiding in a haystack. Right, fair enough. Uh, and so he ends up killing the sons and or cousins of all the important men of the district. Yeah, not a good uh, plan, really. No, I mean, really not. Um, but ultimately, uh, a relatively bloodless saga, honestly. Yeah. So the number is 14, and we have a dragon and a seal. Nicknames. Uh, okay, nicknames. So yeah, nicknames. Um, now the way we've been doing, <laughs> the way we've been doing this, um, I've got some things written down for the nicknames, and Andy, your job is to uh, you know look pretty. Oh, that's not going to go well. Do your best. <laughs> this is uh, a podcast. No one can see me. So well, that's know. probably for the best. It'll, <laughs> it helps. It helps if they're imagining you looking pretty. Oh, okay. Uh, so this is uh, in this saga, we've got a handful of the usual suspects when it comes to nicknames. Uh, Thorfinn the Strong, Roy oh, the Wealthy, fascinating. Newt the Great, that kind of thing. You really picked uh, the good ones. Well, I'm just saying that these are the kind of the generic ones. Uh, Knut is worth noting not so much for his nickname as for the link that his presence provides. Uh, we kind of skip past this in the summary, but Bjorn is briefly part of the retinue of Knut right around the time Knut is establishing his North Sea Empire, right, mm-hmm. which includes England. Uh, along with most of Scandinavia. It is a really uh, quick little section, though. Yeah. It basically no, I mean, says and, Bjorn's traveling with him, a dragon attacks, and then he gets right. a, a boat out of it, and then he's he's off to, to somewhere else, Denmark. Right, and, and par- part of the reason that it's so briefly covered may be, as we said, that the author isn't sure what to do about this dragon suddenly showing up. Um, but we've, we've mentioned before that saga writers are deeply interested in establishing the presence of Icelanders, kind of Forrest Gump-style, at all of the important historical moments in English history. That's right. And I think this is a great example of dropping an otherwise unnecessary cross-reference into the story. Well, and right? let's, let's the not Canute just say... The section doesn't advance the storyline in any way. It's not even just the 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 fascination with dropping them into, uh, mm-hmm. not into English kingdoms. They're yep. genuinely invested in showing Icelanders interacting with all the royal courts of the northern medieval world. Um, Absolutely. Which shows these Icelanders as players in the game. Mm-hmm. Though minor, yep. very minor players. Right, right. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe the Sabas don't always think that. they're minor, but, uh, you know, consider the source. <laughs> uh, so we do have a few nicknames worth mentioning for more significant reasons. Uh, we should start with Arnor Crossstick. Okay. Uh, the, more like the indication, Arnor Cheekless. Well, earless, cheekless, mm-hmm. boneless. Uh, Arnor Soup would be the, the more appropriate name, right? <laughs> Soup sucker. <laughs> um, how does that poor guy just sit around by the fire? Oh, all day it's awful. It's awful. That is how did we? And then we also, and then we screwed him out of best bloodshed on top of that. Yeah, we did. We gave it to a uh, seal of all things. <laughs> arr, arr, arr. Uh, so the indication is that Arnor's nickname uh, Thvari uh, refers to a weapon, but it's not at all clear what sort of weapon. Cleesby mm-hmm. uh, Vigfason gives cross stick as a translation. But it indicates that it's kind of meant in the sense of a weapon and suggests wound stick as an alternative translation. Is is Arnor a practicer of the martial arts and he's using nunchucks? Is that possible? I think that's highly unlikely. Well, they – two sticks, Uh, you can cross them. Well, but let me explain before you make a further fool of yourself. Uh, Zwega translates the name as bolt or spear, uh, which makes some sense. And, you know, of course, we know a spear is a very common weapon uh, for Icelanders. Is it? Uh, And it's – 
it's much closer to the word's origins as a, uh, it actually, Favari refers to a stick used in stirring a fire or a cauldron. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so I'm going to say that his name actually means something like sharp stick. Ooh. Uh, I like the idea that it might refer to a spear with a cross piece, like a boar spear. Okay. But there's not enough to go on for that argument. Like, I can't prove that. All right. Uh, and regardless of its meaning, this is the only listed use of the word as a nickname. So Arnor gets points for originality. So Arnor is famous for having a large pointy stick. Right. And we don't and know what he does one with One cheekbone. That's really his business. Yes. Uh, then we've got Odney Isle Candle. Yes, Now, Isle Andy, Candle. what do you think Isle Candle means as a nickname? What's the reference? Um, you know, I honestly don't know, but here's what here's the image in my no, mind. I'm, I, I'm asking you to sort of speculate. I, I will speculate for you because this is all I really do. Mm-hmm. This is a nickname given to a woman who is pining mm-hmm. for her lost love, oh. who's far away, and she Fair is nice. like the lone candle on the aisle waiting, oh. almost like a lighthouse looking for her love. Wow. What, what, the, if, what if what if what if that light what if that light that flame were the only thing of beauty on that island? Yes, that could be. Uh, that would also be wrong. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're just like, I, uh, you had a twinkle in your eye that made me think that maybe I was onto something. <laughs> uh, I'll, let, I'll, let, I'll let the dictionary explain this one for us. This is the name of an Icelandic lady at the beginning of the 11th century, so-called from her taper-shaped figure. Her taper-shaped figure. In other words, she's shaped like a candlestick. <laughs> She's, She's like got a, a very pointy type. head and a, and a large bottom. Hmm. Right. Um, well, Isle Candle sounds much nicer than stick figure, but that's essentially what she's being called. Are you sure? I think my version's a little bit better, more it's, flattering. Well, it's much more poetical. <laughs> uh, now, you're just trusting the, di- the dictionary, right? <laughs> we don't really know. Uh, well, li- a lot of nicknames in this saga appear only this one time. So it's yeah. one of those. Uh, so we've also got uh, Thor- Thorar the Far Traveler. Hold on, could we just call? Though. Could we call her Odney Triangle? Would that work? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, taper, taper. Ta- well, then what and kind it, of? We could call her an acute triangle. There you go, Odney um, acute triangle. She's very uh, cute, in my opinion. Oh, <laughs> we've got a uh, Kali the Elegant. Uh, the actual name is is Pruthi, uh, which means fine or magnificent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the sense of appearance, not necessarily reputation. Okay. Uh, the name itself doesn't actually interest me all that much, but it's worth noting that the word pruthy, uh, probably derives from the old French prudhomme, uh, or nobleman, uh, okay. which means Coley and the Creole chef Paul Prudhomme share a name and a reputation for stately bearing. I don't know who that is, you <laughs> old man. <laughs> and possibly a talent for fusion cookery. Well, like you, I'm not as interested in this name, only much less so. <laughs> so what's your next one? Oh, wow. Um, Kalf the Ill-Willed. Yes, I love this guy. Uh-huh. Uh, now, the word Ilviti um, seems to mean something like foreboding or ill-omened, uh, while the word Ilvili is ill-willed. Mm-hmm. Now, where this gets confused is that the translation... In the Leifer Erikson published series, which is the same one we're using, gives his name as ill-willed. But both of my Norse language sources, including the Islands Fornrit series, give the name as Ilviti, not Ilvili. Hmm. So, either someone went back to the manuscripts for this translation, realized that a transcription error had occurred in the Fornrit series, and silently amended the name for the new translation, or 
Someone misread Ilviti as Ilvili during the translation process. Fascinating. So what's your theory on this one? Well, either one I is like possible. Ill-willed. Well, see, either one of these is possible. And I'd love to hear from anyone who has more in-depth knowledge about this. We've got somebody out there who knows uh, anything about this specific instance. Uh, but um, at a guess, I'm going to say that there's a misreading here. Uh, mm. Because the Norse language sources all seem to agree that it's Ilviti. Uh, I haven't consulted like the manuscripts. For, this sounds like an excuse for a trip to Iceland where we can look at the manuscript. Well, I don't really need an excuse. All I need is a ticket. Uh, Make it two tickets. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually going to suggest that we amend his name to the ill omened or the foreboding. Okay. Uh, we've I got, feel of course, like ill willed. I'd rather, you know, if you have a band of villains, having someone named ill willed is a lot cooler than having someone ill omened. You really want to hang out with that guy? Well, then maybe we can suggest that we just leave it that way because it's cooler. Yeah. That's I mean, it's important when you're translating, isn't it? To be as cool as possible. <laughs> uh, we have a. You got to appeal to the kids, John. <laughs> you got to you got to sex these sagas up a little. Yeah, bit. you got to keep it flashy. Um, so Bjorn, the champion of the Hitterdal people, uh, this is a simple one to explain. Uh, as we sure. mentioned, Bjorn is from the Hitterdal district, and he gets the name of, of champion from killing Kaldemar, uh, the made-up nemesis of Valdemar in Russia. There's. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that nickname, but I feel like if I'd killed a dragon, even if it were a tiny one, I'd want that to be my name. Bjorn the Dragon Slayer. Dragon Slayer. I think is you yeah, know, if you good. can put Dragon Slayer after your name, why True. wouldn't you? I, Bjorn, I, my theory is that even Bjorn is embarrassed about beating up on this little lizard, and he doesn't want to. <laughs> you, are, you really don't like that dragon, do you? Wow. Uh, anyway, so, and our last one is... Alvun backflap. Yeah. Okay. So we, I asked you about this one in uh-huh. the uh, summary section. And you said you know what's going on here. So well, I, share I your think wisdom I know. with us. I should, maybe I, I may have overstated slightly. Uh, oh, this, no, because well, because this is a tricky one. Uh, the Icelandic word is bakskika, uh, and it's a nonce word. Uh, for people who aren't weirdly obsessed with language study, a nonce word is a word created to explain something specific and used only once in a literary corpus. Mm-hmm. Right, so this is the only time in all the sagas that the word bakskika appears. Uh, in this case, it's being used to explain something about Althun. The problem is then sorting out what exactly it's meant to tell us. It's a large flap of skin hanging over his belt. Well, he's a unhelpfully, very fellow. Unhelpfully, dictionaries either ignore the word completely or list it solely as a nickname from Bjorn's saga. Yeah, Which well, really I mean, who's looking it up, really, you know? <laughs> well, Unless me. someone's picking up this um, fairly obscure saga, they don't really have to worry about that word in the dictionary. Right. They probably have bigger fish to fry. Uh, now, Alison Finlay, who did the translation that we're working from, identifies the second word element in the name as referring to either a trailing piece of fabric or a piece of land, and then suggests, with a sort of leap of logic, that its use as a nickname may have homosexual connotations. Really? Uh, now, Why it's always fair to wonder. Well, it's always fair to wonder about the sexual implications of back based names in the sagas. Right. Uh, and so she may well be right. Uh, but we should also consider uh, the possibility of a literal meaning. Uh, okay. Perhaps Alden wears a longer than normal shirt or shirt tail, or prefers a long undergarment that sticks out in the back underneath his shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe he has those uh, those fancy long johns with the button flap in the back, so he can go to the bathroom. Oh, the, the Union Jack, the Union, yes. the Union suit, Union suit. 
Union suit, um, okay? And maybe uh, he left it open one time. There you and go. everyone's always making fun of him, like, ha, on the back flap. Uh, so I do, li- I do like Shirt Tail as a nickname option. But I also – I like your idea that he's got sort of a, a saggy flap of skin, uh, that he's just a heavyset guy. I don't think that's the answer. Uh, I, but I think it's a funny answer. I think it's a funny possibility. Given the, think- the, the paucity of resources in Iceland, finding a an obese yeah. man with a back flap well- – but that would it make him worthy of note for that very thing. Uh, yes, it would. Uh, but it no, would. I think I think something like shirt tail okay. is probably what's indicated here. Uh, but I, th- we need to consider the possibility that Finlay may very well be right. Sure. All right. So, what do you think? I can't remember any of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you weren't paying attention. Well, um, I know that we had Odney Isle Candle. I, I think, for me... Um, there's a lot of interesting ones for me in here, uh, but I think for me it comes down to either Odney Isle Candle um, or possibly Arnor Crossstick. Mm, I'm not feeling Arnor Crossstick, but I would give it to Odney the Acute Triangle. Yeah, I think <laughs> only because learning what it actually means in some yeah. ways makes me think it's a much better nickname. Before yeah. it was just obscure, now it's hilarious. Well, She's olive oil. <laughs> no, olive oil is a straight stick. She's well, the cross stick. <laughs> no, I like. So, uh, I, I would. I would choose between Isle Candle and Back Flap. Um, okay. But uh, but because Isle Candle is such a, a major figure, I like the mm-hmm. way it's used in the poetry by uh, mm-hmm. by Bjorn. And so I'd like mm-hmm. to to give the award to her if possible. Excellent. Right. Oddly, it is. Congratulations. Enjoy that with your eight kids. Notable witticisms. All right, this is one of my favorite categories, especially for this saga. It's where we get to choose uh, the very best witticisms and <laughs> those those more uh, humorous moments from the saga. Yeah, I think this is going to be a strong category for this saga. Yeah, I think so too. What, why don't you start us off? All right. Um, well, I can't uh, ignore the Neathpole description. Uh, I know it's unusual for us to include the narrator's voice. Usually we're talking about people in direct speech. Um, but... The, the narrator's description of sort of popular response to this sculpture has to be noted. Mm-hmm. Um, the description we're given, it, the, the sculpture, represented two men, one of them with a black hat on his head. They were standing bent over, one facing the other's back. It seemed to be an indecent encounter, and people <laughs> said the position of neither standing figure was good, and yet that of the one in front was worse. Right. And, of course, we know who the one in front is supposed to be. Thord. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's a great one. Yeah, you know, if we're if we're considering the sculpture, then we mm-hmm. should also add some of the uh, the naughty verses that we covered. Oh, I think you know? so, yes. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm particularly fond of the gray belly verses where uh, Bjorn tells the story of Thord's Piscine origins. Oh, right, right. Now, we, we covered that in the summary. Do you want to read it again here or should we just uh... – no, no, describe. I think you can you can go back and listen to mm-hmm. – um, I'm not going to do uh, that stupid voice anymore. So <laughs> you can go back and listen oh, to it Oh, I think you, you will. I'm yeah, sure you I'm, will at some point. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm not sure if I, I love this one so much just because it reads like a Kerouac poem or because it's such a great and cleverly <laughs> composed little insult to Thord, who I guess looks like a, a bit of a lumpfish, you know? Apparently. Yeah. All right. Well, if you're not going to read that one, then I am going uh, well, to have to break out oh, – oh, oh. 
I do think it's worth you know pausing really quickly since you talked about the Neath pole mm-hmm. and I'm, and uh, I just brought up the the gray belly verses. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should talk for just a second about the um, the laws that are associated with the kind of insults that we've been seeing in Bjorn saga and the other poet sagas. All right, knock my socks off. I will. Well, it, it, I think we, we talked about it before. It's really a big enough problem in Iceland with all these kind of slanderous poems and, and neath poles going around to warrant some kind of formal legal language for dealing with these mm-hmm. naughty poets and naughty sculptors. So I'll just read to you from the, the Gragas. This is a uh, 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 the law codes of the Icelanders that was preserved um, orally for the majority of its history, mm-hmm. um, but then committed to writing, I think, in the 13th century. Is that correct? Yeah. 13th century? Yeah. That's a, when in doubt with Icelandic literature, just say 13th century. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's what the Gragas have to say about the, the uki and the neath. If a man composes an uki about another man, the penalty is lesser outlawry. It is uki if a man says about another man or any one of his possessions that which cannot be and does so to dishonor him. So I think the uh, Uki seems to be a poem that exaggerates reality or invents some false and insulting story about someone else. Right. So the Grey Belly verses are a good example of that. It's telling well, the story of Thord's mm-hmm. birth, but not his actual birth. Right. And of course, what's interesting about that is that the law does create a loophole whereby it's only if you can demonstrate that the thing they've said cannot be. Mm-hmm. Um, so technically speaking, a lot of accusations, you know, that normally sort of seem like they would be, uh, subject to outlawry as a punishment there, there's enough ambiguity there, right? Accusations of, um, homosexuality, accusations of, um, uh, failing to function as a man or Mm -hmm. having relations with an animal. Uh, these are things that's very hard to prove or disprove. Right. So you sort of get into a real gray area there with the law. Yeah, there's this other form of artistic shaming called neath. Um, mm-hmm. And on the subject of the neath, the Gragas say this. If a man makes a neath about another, the penalty is lesser outlawry. And so it's the same amount of time. I think it's three years of outlawry, mm-hmm. right? Or some form of outlawry. Right. Um, it is to be prosecuted with a jury of 12. It is neath if one man cuts a wooden neath against another or carves or raises a neath pole against another. And so obviously the thing that you're talking about is the, the carving. So it's mm-hmm. neath. The poem um, that I spoke of, the, the Grey Belly Verses, is an uki. Both mm-hmm. the penalty, if it goes to court, is lesser, lesser outlawry. Right. And yet uh, what we see in this saga, um, Bjorn is only fined um, yeah. for, for this stuff. I mean he's never subjected to outlawry. Well, that's why um, – and you know, as we've said before, it's often there's a wide gulf between what the law says ought to happen, sure, uh, and what's actually going to happen. Well, has a great deal the, to do with the ability of the offended party to en- enact and enforce the law. Right. Well, it's also the the uh, the wisdom of the individuals involved to try to seek out an arbitrator mm-hmm. and to settle this thing before they get to court formally, mm-hmm. or use the arbitrator to manipulate the law a little bit so that they don't get the, the outlawry. Right. Now, and in Thord's case, right, uh, Bjorn already knows that Thord cannot or will not um, enforce judgments against him with force. Yeah. Right? Uh, because Thord just isn't willing to use force against Bjorn. He's afraid to. Uh, mm-hmm. And so Bjorn maybe has a freer hand to act against Thord in these ways, right, in these sort of shaming ways, uh, knowing that he's unlikely to have to face any actual attempt to remove him from the island. 
Right. So if, if you're interested in the Uki and Neith uh, poems and sculptures in the Icelandic sagas, and particularly in Bjorn's saga, then you should check out um, an article by Alison Finley, who's the mm-hmm. translator of the uh, uh, of Bjorn's saga that we've been using. Um, she has a great article with uh, a lot of the nuances of Uki and Neith covered there. So check that out. It's called Monstrous Allegations and Exchange of Uki in Bjarnar Saga Hitdalakapa. Um, and I'll post a link to that article with this episode on our website, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. You can access it mm-hmm. there. So what's up next, John? Well, okay, so keeping on in this vein, um, we have to give Thord a chance to redeem himself here. Uh, so I, think <laughs> I don't we'll think include, he can. Well, we'll include his, uh, his cow verse. Oh, the cow verses. Against, yes, that one's against actually really good. Bjorn. Um, now, of course, this story um, is Bjorn... Uh, involves himself in taking care of a newborn calf one night. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's generally considered to be kind of dirty work and work for servants. Uh, and so there's there's sort of shame. Uh, well, more to the point, Thord thinks it's shameful, right? Which tells right. us as much about Thord as it is about Bjorn, that Thord thinks to lower yourself to help a newborn animal is sort of a shameful behavior. Um, but... Thord constructs a verse uh, making fun of Bjorn for his relationship uh, as a midwife to cows. Uh, and he spoke this verse. Why must you, O mighty mud dweller, keep casting, though a seal has scratched me, scorn on my wounding? You'll be sorry, soldier, at sight of shield shaking. You clutched a twisted calf beneath a cow's tail, dung encrusted. Well, who's dung encrusted? Is it the tail or is it uh, Bjorn? Well, I think that's meant to be ambiguous, yeah. right? The um, right. This is filthy work, yeah. uh, and so Bjorn now, sort of by contact, is filthy. yeah. Well, I think we should give Thord credit. That is his best poem of the saga. It is, uh, and he does actually reference the seal scratching yeah. him, so he he acknowledges his own mm-hmm. shame. Uh, but yes, yes, the uh, calling Bjorn a dung encrusted calf yeah. wrestler is. Kind of his well, best that, line. You, you kind of get a sense of the the saga um, author at work here because he's he's probably got these two poems both that mention seal scratches, and so he invents that chapter fifteen right. that we talked about a little while ago, just to mm-hmm. to figure out how and where this seal scratch occurred. Well, we were impressed enough to give yeah, him an award. Good stuff. All right, my next one. I, I'll try to be as quick as I can with it. Um, it's a little bit of an involved episode. Now, I want to include it because it's a clever exchange that we didn't get to talk about much in the summary. At least I don't remember mm-hmm. us talking about it. So if you recall, Thorstein Kugeson, who I think you know very well, his wife is mm-hmm. the cousin or second cousin of Bjorn's wife, and he's working with Thord, or at least he's tentatively agreed to work with him. And so Thorstein's on his way to Dalk's house, Dalk, for <laughs> for Dalk. some of the Yuletide festivities, and the weather gets so bad that he's forced to seek shelter at Bjorn's farm. Now he's brought in and given a pretty rude welcome, actually. There's no fire built to warm the guys up. There's no fresh clothes. All their clothes are frozen. Nothing to make them feel better. Most likely because Bjorn already knows that Thorstein's been chatting with his enemies, right? Right. All of it very understandable from Bjorn's point of view, right? You you aren't going to expend too much of your valuable resources on entertaining your enemies. So Thorstein's sitting there in socks that are said to be frozen so badly that they won't come off of the men's feet. And Thorstein's just wondering whether or not he should leave this place before it gets too ugly. But again, the storm outside is so bad that they can't. And so he decides to stay the night, despite the lack of warmth. Again, no fires are built, and these men end up sleeping in their frozen clothing. Um, Early in the morning, Bjorn gets up, and he goes to look out at the weather. 
And when he comes back in, Thorstein asks what the weather looked like. Bjorn replies that it was good weather for brave men. Thorstein prepares his men to leave, mm. and he's choosing, I guess, at this point to risk the elements rather than stay in Bjorn's company. It's a little bit too dangerous, too uncomfortable for him there. But as, th- as soon as Thorstein and his men step out into the cold wind and, and the snow, they, they immediately turn right back around and come in. And he looks right at Bjorn and says, Bjorn isn't choosy about the weather on our behalf. He doesn't know how short of heroism we are. Now, <laughs> that's that a good response. classic saga wit. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about notable mm-hmm. witticisms. It's understated. It's clever. There's mm-hmm. so much behind it. It's brilliant stuff. So Bjorn quickly lobs an insult right back at him, revealing that he knows exactly what's going on. And it, and I think I, we covered this, that it doesn't take long before they're good friends. And Thorstein right. establishes himself right. as the second best man in the saga. A distant, oh, I a don't distant think second, second but second say. nonetheless. An, an admirable yeah. man in a way that no one else in the saga proves to be. Uh, <laughs> that you think. So what's uh, next, John? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us uh, an exchange, a very short exchange, uh, between Thor and Bjorn. This is right after they've uh, both had uh, outlaws staying with them. And uh, Bjorn has been called into court for sheltering outlaws and then gets revenge by killing Thor's outlaws as they are leaving okay. his house. Um, and when Thor uh, learns, because, of course, Bjorn then adds insult to injury by returning the horses they were riding to Thor's That's farm. Right. Uh, and when Thor uh, sees him, uh, Bjorn says, uh, do I get to have to do Bjorn's voice? Oh, uh, well, I, mu- I must tell you that I have killed the outlaws you have taken into your hands. You sound like um, If you have any objection. You sound like, like Constantine from Muppets Most Wanted. I have not seen Muppets Most Wanted. That's what you sound like. If you have any objection, you'd better stand up and avenge him. I am Kermit the Frog. Thor- and Thor <laughs> says, you have earned the name Champion. And Bjorn's response is, so what's the christening gift to do? <laughs> Which is a good a line. line. <laughs> uh, it is a good, I mean, Bjorn, Thor gets a pretty good line in, you earn the name champion, right? The shameful way that he kills yeah. two outlaws. Uh, but Bjorn's response, what is the christening gift to give me? One, a mm. good response to that line. But two, also, uh, it's another way that we sort of begin to see when and where this saga is taking yeah. place. Right? This is a, this is a Christian country now. Um, Bjorn's saga takes place in the 11th century. The island is already converted. So a ref- a casual sort of offhand reference, something like the christening gift, that's not an anachronism, right? We're actually dealing with Christian Icelanders right. at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to once again expose Thord for the fish-faced doofus that he is. So my final candidate for, wow. <laughs> for notable witticism is going to be Thord's blundering attempt at the, a one-liner just before he gets his revenge on Bjorn. Now, this is from the uh, that final battle when Thor arrives at Bjorn's uh, – when Thor arrives as Bjorn's finally being overwhelmed by all those other men. Now, Bjorn notices mm-hmm. Thor's ar- arrival and he says while defending himself from the attack of these men, You come late to such a meeting, little lad. And Thor replies, Oh, do I get to do your silly voice? But that, but that little lad will stand close to you today and strike you a shameful blow. Right. So it – now – if you haven't figured out yet what exactly went on there, note the phrasing of Thord's <laughs> boast. He doesn't say that he will right. shame Bjorn with a good strike. What does he say? I will strike you a shameful blow. I will blow. strike you a shameful blow, which implies that the attack itself will be shameful. Now, Bjorn right. immediately right. catches this mistake and says, 
Those are the only blows you'll strike as long as you live. Bjorn could not... I I wish I hadn't done it in that voice. He deserves a more noble voice there. (laughs) Those are the only blows you'll strike as long as you live. No. It's far too late for that. No, it's too late. I know. Uh, But... Right, and of course, and the saga author even does say later on that that Thor had meant to say that he would strike a shaming blow. Uh, That's good stuff. But, in fact, he's right. I mean, you know, Thor then goes ahead and attacks Bjorn from Mm -hmm. behind uh, at a time when he's supposed to be, uh, when when Bjorn is busy defending himself from other men. Uh, It is. It is a shameful blow. And I think, uh, you know, most important is that Bjorn deserves some credit for getting the best of Thord once again, even in such terrible circumstances Mm -hmm. as these. It's a great one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got one more uh, to toss in. This is uh, Bjorn's mother, Thordis. When Thord uh, arrives at their farm after killing Bjorn with Bjorn's head attached to his saddle and tosses the head to Bjorn's mother and mocks her. Uh, and calls out to her uh, that she should wash the head if she recognizes it, uh, since it needs washing. Uh, and Thordis, the aged mother of Bjorn, uh, stares Thord down and says, I know the head, and you should know it too, for you have often gone in fear before that head when it was still attached to the body. Go now, and take it to Odney. She would like it better than that wretched little thing hanging from your neck. <laughs> Which <laughs> that last bit, it, she's talking about his head, the wretched little thing yes. hanging from his neck, <laughs> hanging. I love that too because it, it's, oh, it's you just get this image of this slumped-over fish-faced dork <laughs> holding the head of a real hero. Oh boy! I, you know, I said this was the category where this saga was going to shine, yeah. and I honestly, there's a lot of good it, choices. It's here. hard to choose, but I I can't help but think Thordis's line right there is the strongest of them all. I love all the poetry. Really? I love you know the exchanges that we we covered, but. But mm-hmm. in that moment, standing before a man holding your son's head to come up with that, mm-hmm. brilliant stuff. <laughs> all right. All right. You know what? That's I'll, I'll give it to her if only because I, I always admire uh, when these figures sort of who are supposed to be stricken with grief manage to come up with a good one. Yeah. Congratulations, Thordis. I hope it's some consolation to you. That's sad. Oh, Lori. All right, Outlawry. Finally, we get a chance to eliminate one of these people. Oh, there's a very Um, clear one for me. (laughs) Well, okay. I think there's probably a fairly straightforward choice here. I assume we're both thinking of Thord. Yeah, we're not going to beat around the bush Mm -hmm. here, are we? Well, I mean, let's. uh, We have to at least come up with a case against him. So, what do you got? Well, let's start with at the very beginning of the saga. He's just a bully of the district, and he makes life difficult for Mm -hmm. for young Bjorn. But I could. I mean that could be said of any number of chieftains who are at the very highest rungs of society. That could be said of anyone, to be honest. But <laughs> it's just the beginning of I a long it's... career of, of dastardly deeds for for young dastardly uh, Thord. Deeds. Uh, I think it's fair to say, let's see, he, he breaks the engagement between Bjorn and Odni. Yeah, I mean, that, alone, lying. that alone seems to me to be uh-huh. one of the worst possible things you can do. To gain this man's trust while he's drinking... And then mm-hmm. to steal his woman. Well. And to make everyone around, including Bjorn's own family, think that Bjorn's dead. I I, mm-hmm. I can't support I, that kind of behavior. I, I, absol- I agree. It is despicable. What kind is of parents criminal? does this guy have? The question is, is it criminal? Uh, well, you know, that's, that's hard to say. 
Why don't we we talk about his uh, uh, his many uh, ambushes yes, and attacks? That's on now York. we're on solid ground, here. right? Yeah, no, he's responsible for what at least half a dozen separate assassination right. attempts, covert actions behind the uh-huh. scenes. He's manipulating other people and trying to uh-huh. convince them to go and kill Bjorn. And Bjorn's well within his rights to defend himself, right? And of course, he's also. Uh, composing verses, insulting and scandalous verses about Bjorn. And then complaining when Bjorn does the same back to him. Absolutely. Um, Sends uh, individual assassins in addition to the ambushes. He sends men to kill Bjorn. Yeah. Um, He's he's in general. He's he's not a nice man. The the, the manner in which he kills Bjorn and handles the body is also extremely unusual and um, Mm -hmm. a marker of his his kind of cruelty and lack of character and lack of honor, Mm -hmm. most importantly, I think, for this saga. Right. And I think it's it's worth noting that, you know, most of the people who associate with him and conspire with him eventually end up being contemptuous of him. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Now, you you aren't going to offer anyone else, are you? Well, having said all that, we have to consider a couple other people. Um, Just because, you know, we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't consider all options. Okay. We do have Thorstein Kalfsson. Um, who is actually sent uh, as an assassin uh, okay. after Bjorn. Uh, remember, this is the uh, incompetent assassin whose sweaty palm nervousness gives him away <laughs> and gives That's Bjorn right. the chance to get the upper hand on it. All right, but if you're going to um, include him, then you might as well include everyone who's trying to kill Bjorn. That's going to be a long list. Well, but of course, the others are part of ambushes, right? There's, the Ambushes are a different sort of category of killing than an assassination attempt. Okay. When Thorstein Kalfsson tries to get him alone and then just kill him. Uh, it's a certain and much worse kind of act. Isn't that what uh, uh, Thorstein Kugeson was kind of planning to do? No! I believe that was the Absolutely setup. Thord, Thord says to him, I think your best no, bet no, 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 no. is to get him alone that's... and start a fight with him. No, that's nonsense. Thorstein refuses to be involved in any of Thor's underhandedness mm. and offers only to support them in future in future lawsuits. Okay. That's a, that's very straightforward. That was just a lame uh, attempt to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, I know it was. And just for that, I'm going to also include Bjorn. No, you can't. Uh, There's no, oh, absolutely. That doesn't make any sense. He was incited to these, these deeds. Uh, doesn't make any sense. Bjorn leaves his girlfriend at the altar. What? No, he doesn't. Um, he betrothed her. He, he betrothed he her and said, I'll be back. Yes, yes. And then doesn't come home. Knows that she's marrying a, a terrible, terrible man. What? Does he doesn't know. Him. It already happened. Commits. Can we keep count of how many murders, murders and killings all over in the course of the saga? My, by my count, he's responsible for killing um, 12 yeah. men. Yeah. Pretty impressive, isn't it? That's not including Caldemore the Champion, which is, you know, he's killed in a duel, and that's perfectly all right. Uh, but he's responsible for a dozen killings. Yeah. Uh, remember that. That's because he's really saga, good at what he does, John. Well, and at the end of the saga, when Thord uh, convinces Bjorn's brother to take a settlement, he does it by listing off all those killings and demonstrating that, in fact, Bjorn was probably heading for outlawry regardless. That's Thord setting that up. All of those. Absolutely right. Yeah. So he's obviously a little bit biased. Bjorn is justified (laughs) in every single one of his killings by Icelandic law. Absolutely right. There's nothing that he's done that's shameful, with the possible exception of when he kills the that younger lad for reciting poetry. Oh, right. When he kills Thorkel Dalkson. Thorkel Dalkson. Dalkson. 
Thorkel. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, as even Thorkel says, that's beneath him. Yeah. Right, to be lurking around in the horse buyer waiting for a chance to kill a person for speaking of Well, horse. he might have just been happening by and overheard. Oh, clearly <laughs> lurking in the background. And remember that he's, um, that we're told that he's a terrible mm. person for having done this. That he gets well, dressed as down. Well should. I admitted that that's a that's a bad a bad scene for uh, Bjorn to get involved in. But there's also the Neath pole. We have to remember that Bjorn constructs this Neath pole, which you were helpful enough to read us the laws mm-hmm. about why that's subject to outlawry. Okay. Uh, that said, it's very well constructed and, and artistic. Uh, <laughs> oh you know, well, I right. think its artistic merit deserves some consideration. <laughs> right. It's not. It's not smut. It's art. Yeah. Exactly. He's uh, just expressing all himself. Right. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you get up off the mat now. Uh, I don't, I'm not on the mat. Me and Bjorn we're, are standing we're tall. Thor, but I wanted to see you sweat. I didn't. Not sweating. All right, now if you're done goofing around, let's get down to business. Thor. Thor is yeah. getting full outlawry. I know that sometimes we've given lesser outlawry, but this is not one of those situations. Oh, absolutely. This is a case for full. Get out of Iceland. I never want to see you again. Uh, we're putting him in a leaky boat with a broken oar. Yeah, especially because he survives the saga. Him out to sea. A lot of these other guys end up dying at some point. This guy lives That's through right. the whole thing. That's right. It's terrible. Yeah, shameful. All right. Well, here's it. our chance for a little revenge. Get out of here. Pour it out. You go. Thing man. All right. So now that uh, we've washed our hands of Thord Colbinson, we can get on to picking our thingmen. And uh, Andy, you're going first this time. Well, I, I don't think there's any question here about who I should take as thingman, John. Thorstein Carlson. No. Kaldemar the champion. <laughs> I, I kind of want Dalk, to be honest. <laughs> Dalk. <laughs> now, before we get too deep into this, I want to thank you, John, for oh. going first in the last episode. I was very comfortable with my choice. Noble of you. I, well, I felt like it was a win-win for both of us. In, in the last episode. I, so I was very happy with who I got. It didn't matter if I went first or second there. And I think you realize that now as well. <laughs> oh, no. I'm quite pleased with my choice. I, like I said, I was... Uh, well, of course you're going to say that. No, no. And you're stuck with short. Cormac. Who wants Cormac? I needed a poet. Mm. I needed yeah, a poet. Yeah, but you got Cormac. So. Well, this time around, you know and I know there's only one man who really emerges as true thing man material. Let's yes, be honest. But I have a feeling you're not going to take him and you're going to take Bjorn instead. So <laughs> go right ahead. This guy is a world traveler. He is respected by everyone and loved. He is a loyal follower of King Olaf. He is the protector of the king. He's a warrior who earns the title Champion of the Hitardal people when he saves the world from the evil Kaldimar. Kaldimar! <laughs> He's also, I think you'll remember, a sailor. He's a sailor who saves the life of King Canute when an evil and ferocious and very large dragon attacks. This man is a poet with a great sense of humor and a good enough awareness of the law to get away with multiple killings, about a dozen killings, within his own district and never be prosecuted for them. Good for him. He is the one. He is the only. Brooklyn Beyond! I'm sorry, you're still talking? I fell asleep yes. right in there. Um, <clears throat> I'm proud to take on Brooklyn uh-huh. Bjorn, and I think we're going to accomplish great things together. Look for our book of adult poetry. Oh, it's going to be on the bestseller <laughs> list in spring. I think what you're going to accomplish is, aside from creating scandalous murals, 
wasting a whole lot of time on what should be very simple things. Well, we're a match made in heaven. <laughs> I, on the other hand, uh, could not be more pleased with my thing, man. Uh, we already outlawed Thord. Yeah. <laughs> I know he's your style. Uh, I was but, very pleased uh, last gone. time to land what is uh, I, what I think we can fairly say is the second most famous warrior poet in Iceland. Uh, Who's the and, most famous? Ail Skallagrimson, I think. Uh, oh, I'll oh, get him well, later. Uh, so I've got Cormac. I'm very pleased about that. Um, and I'm quite pleased about my thing man this time. Uh, you've got Bjorn. You have you've to You've got be. this kind of unreconstructed Viking neanderthal and i'm i'm sure you'll be happy what? with him uh just killing people left <laughs> and right so bitter. for good reason never never met a man he didn't want to kill i'm choosing uh-huh. a more enlightened man a man of a new age oh are you a man who embodies mm-hmm. the newfound uh hybrid christian and icelandic ideals that speak to the 11th century icelandic reality you don't have anything good to say about him because he's nobody so i don't <laughs> I'm, I'm choosing thorstein kugason a man who's bringing a breath of reason into this saga a man who introduces a new way of being a way that says that the best way to avenge a friend or a brother is to seek redress really to seek outlawry oh. to seek compensation to mm-hmm. allow the society to function how manly and for the society to be stronger than the vicious and destructive feuds that a man like Bjorn conducts leads to. How is your your precious little Christian Thorstein gonna get along with Snorri Gothi? Oh, I think they're gonna be just fine together. Snorri is a pragmatist and he embraced the new religion as being beneficial to a man like himself who is perhaps better at the law than he is at fighting. Yeah, but like Thord, he also likes to arrange ambushes and killings at random. Well, then it's going to be my job to keep the two of them from each other. Uh, I don't see a problem there. And thank you for once again pointing out that you've never been able to get over the fact that I took Snorri Gothi from you. Who says I like story? Anyway, Gothi? look, I think it's I think it's wonderful that you found someone in the saga to take because it was slim pickings after let's, let's, Bjorn. Let's put it let's put it aside for a minute. Obviously, Bjorn is uh, the the clear choice in the saga, the obvious choice in the saga. But Thanks. you have to say that Thorstein is uh, a pretty remarkable find. I mean, he's you know I will admit that I if I were going second, Thorstein would be my guy. For many of the reasons you listed, and also because there's no one else no, available. No, well, I, that is absolutely true. Uh, Just a bunch of ambushers, but, and you know, for, uh, and maybe the the guy who gets his cheek chopped off. Acrostic. But anyway, I'm very pleased with Thorstein. I'm very glad that he shows up three quarters of the way through this saga and gives me uh, for a gives few me pages. a reasonable uh, choice. So you're admitting defeat. That's great. Final, Final rating. rating. All right, here we are with our final ratings. This is where we get to uh, pass judgment on the saga as a whole. We've we've judged the characters. Let's find out what we think about the saga itself. John, what do you uh, what do you make of this one? What's your score? Well, this is no. I think this the the problem I have, and I don't know if this is a problem or not. This is really two different sagas okay. for me, and I, I'm not sure how I feel about either one of them. First, it's the story of a man whose adventures all over the north end up being something of a catch-all for an historical mm-hmm. moment. Right. I mean, Bjorn, as you were saying when you were leading leading up, bloviating toward choosing Bjorn. Bloviating now. Uh, Bjorn is part of the Viking raids into Russia. He's a friend of King Olaf Håkonarsson in mm-hmm. Norway. He's along for a ride with Knut as he sets about establishing the North Sea Empire. 
He's living in a newly Christianized yeah. Iceland. Let's go get her. Uh, and the... Well, and the saga feeds us these new Iceland moments, like my thing man Thorstein Kugason mm. disavowing revenge killing his I own don't remember Christian. him. Right, so we're very clearly being put at a specific time and place in the early 11th century. But uh, Bjorn's poetry is a dog's breakfast of pagan and Christian references. So his own religious inclinations aren't at all clear. What's that? What is a dog's breakfast? A mess. A mess. A, a mishigas. A pile of nonsense. A mishigas. Yeah, you're going to do Brooklyn Bjorn. you got to learn Michigas. It's a Michigas. Uh, so, that's, so that's one side of it to me. It's, 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 it's working so hard to create an historical moment, and yet it doesn't seem to know how to place its eponymous figure in that moment. Hmm. Uh, on the other hand, it's also the story of a warrior who's got a talent for poetry, although he doesn't actually take up the role of court poet and seems mildly contemptuous of those who do. That warrior is also known for composing verses deriding his enemies, and for killing people repeatedly. In fact, killing people becomes almost his defining characteristic. And well, in a literary tradition like the sagas, that's saying something. It's justified, my, though. Well, but my frustration with this saga is that I've just described the plot of Eol's saga. Okay. I've read this thing several times now, and every time I do, the similarities between Bjorn's saga and Eol's saga become more apparent. Unfortunately, Bjorn's saga doesn't do well in the comparison. And that's largely because Bjorn himself is something of a blank page as a character. Mm-hmm. I don't think we learn a tremendous amount about him. And even for a saga figure, his motivations sometimes seem as if they're just as much of a surprise to him as they are to us. Okay. And that's a problem because, as we've discussed, there aren't a lot of other compelling figures in this saga. Odney is barely fleshed out as a character. Thord is a cowardly jerk. Bjorn's brother is a non-entity who only shows up in the final pages of the story. What about Thorstein? Can you tell us a little about him? That's Well, that's essentially he's the other character who's worth noting. He's the Aaron Bjorn to Bjorn's Ale. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a reference that people who haven't read Ale's Saga won't understand, but we'll get there. Uh, I'm desperate for these little character moments that are the difference between a good saga and a great one. Uh, I think there's a lot to enjoy in this saga. I think it's worth a read. Uh, but I get the impression that you're a little bit more of a fan of the story itself than I am. I'm, I'm going to give it a six. Oh, my goodness. And I probably wouldn't go that high if it weren't for the dragon slaying. So, <laughs> so now you turn to the dragon slaying. Well, it's it's not much of a dragon. That's why I'm not going higher. How funny. So you think you really think that this is a, a kind of a poor man's ale saga? Yeah. Because I don't really see that. I uh, Here's how I see you maybe are right in that in that regard. Um you have a character who goes and interacts I with him, so that's a good reason right there. Okay, here here's a character who goes and interacts with many of the the royal courts of mm-hmm. of Northern Europe in in the Middle Ages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Ale does that, but so does all of the warrior poets. Kind of do that. I mean, you might as well say this is a poor man's Gunlag saga. I don't see the. Uh, I think Bjorn is comes the closest to the breadth of experiences that Ale has. That's true, but the 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 point of Ale Saga is more about the the independent character of of Ale and the independent character or attitude of of the Icelanders themselves. Ale is kind of mm-hmm. representative, and that's not what's going on in this saga at all. Which I guess is your critique is that we don't really get yes. a sense of. But right, to say that this is the poor man's Ale Saga, um, I think misrepresents what this saga is actually about. I think is cheating poor men everywhere. I don't know. I, I, I do think, you know, there's there's a, a justifiable criticism in that this saga isn't quite sure what it is. Um, mm-hmm. But I would shift the focus of that to say that the saga doesn't seem to know whether it's a romance, 
whether it's a warrior poet saga mm-hmm. or or if it's an outlaw saga because many as i said before many of the the defining characteristics of of uh bjorn's experience are those of an outlaw saga not anything like what ale experiences i mean how do you well i would i would jettison romance i think i think it's fair to um say that it belongs to the other traditions but I don't even see. I barely see the romance. You don't see the romance in the whole setup with uh, Thord stealing stealing the girl with the the ring. There's there's a folktale romance. Not really, element because there. it's completely dropped. I mean that that storyline goes nowhere. It, it doesn't. But, it, but it, that's, I'm just saying that, that that's a characteristic that the or that's a genre that the author is is toying with, but not as successfully as he might. Now, I mean, stumbling across one plot element doesn't mean that you're operating within a tradition. Mm. I think that's an arguable point, and if you look at the scholarship, you'll find that some people do look to Tristan's Tristram saga or the the Tristan narrative as an influence on the, on this one. Doesn't mean they're right. No, it doesn't. But uh, it's there, and and I, I I can see the I can see the point. Now, I do think you've done a nice job of covering you know many of the strengths and weaknesses of the saga, though I don't agree with you in terms of the Ale saga comparison. I I think I probably do appreciate some of the strengths a little more than you do, and I. And I don't hold the weaknesses against it quite as much. Although I'm surprised at your score, I, I thought it might be a little bit lower. Well, I don't think it's a terrible saga. I think it's. I think there's a lot of fun in here. Yeah, there is. Um, I, I just want to briefly mention Jonas Christensen because we 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 um talked about his criticism of the saga before, mm-hmm. and I want to look at the other side of the problem. Uh, Jonas Christensen gives a. F- pretty fair account if you read all of christensen's commentary on the saga i think it's a very fair account of the saga um he notes that it is at its weakest when it turns into a string of poems held together by like a flimsy patchwork of uh, prose links in many of the ways that i criticized or other people can criticize cormac's saga mm-hmm. um but like i said earlier I, I think this one's much more successful at creating those prose links um and giving me a narrative that that flows a little bit better um, that said, if you flip through the saga, it, it's really remarkable and pretty obvious when it happens, when he is clearly working with just uh, a lot of poetry and trying to link the, them all together. At the same time, though, Christensen praises the, the saga author, and he notes that the saga author's, quote, finest achievement is his description of Bjorn's death and its prelude and aftermath, where he brilliantly mm-hmm. conveys the stark, savage forces at work in that drama. Um and I would tend to agree with that. I mean, the the last quarter of this saga, aside from everything before it being really entertaining and funny and enjoyable, the last quarter of the saga is probably some of the most entertaining and engaging and dramatic sequences that we've encountered so far. For that reason alone, this saga for me is a six, which shocks me that you gave it a six as well. <laughs> I thought six was very fair and generous. Uh, well, I think I think uh, we've established before that you and I are just operating on a slightly different scale. But it's a little even as we go forward. It's interesting that you know we, we come to the same score um, under different criteria. You know what I mean? I think you're just a more optimistic and forgiving person than I am. Well, I came to the same score as you did, so I guess not quite as much as you. But might you seem think. more cheerful about it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, my approach to my six is much more cheerful. That's right. Than yours. Uh, so it's a six from Andy, a six from me. So 12 total. That's right. Uh, feel free to get in touch with us. Let us know what we got right and what we got wrong. That's right. You can uh, uh, send us an email at sagathingpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter, sagathingpod. Check us out on Facebook at sagathingpodcast or whatever. What are we on Facebook? Oh, I don't do Facebook. Mm. Check us out on Facebook. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Check it out yeah. on Facebook. And uh, again, go for that article by uh, Finley on uh, mm-hmm. sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. 
So in our next episode, we're going to be looking at the Krakomal, which is a narrative poem, supposedly from the point of view of Ragnar Lothbrok himself. We'll be covering that one to sort of celebrate the arrival of season three of the History Channel show Vikings, mm-hmm. uh, which, for those of you who aren't in the listening regions or the viewing regions, uh, is a show about a probably legendary figure from the ninth century, Ragnar Lothbrok. Mm-hmm. We'll be visiting him again next time. And when we're done with our special episode on Ragnar Lothbrok and his Krakumal, we will return to the final warrior poet saga. And I can't tell you how happy I am about that. Oh, the end is in sight. We will be looking at the very, very late Viglund saga. So, until next time. Bye for now. But you go ahead. You just you just jazz improv. <laughs> <laughs>